Now, all of Scripture is important, but four of my favorite parts of Scripture have to be the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Because they tell the story about the life of Jesus. And the first one of those, Matthew, starts out Matthew chapter 1. As we've talked about in this series, and if you weren't here, we'll catch you up real quick. Matthew goes through the genealogy of Jesus, and it's basically this person had this son, had this son, had this son, with all these names that we can't pronounce. And I'll be honest with you, Matthew's book starts out really dry and boring. It's just this list of names, like I said, of people that we don't even know how to say most of those names. It doesn't start like Luke starts. Luke starts with a really good story. We like a good story, right? John starts with some really good uh, literary texture where he uses this imagery and it starts out really good. It's, it's, it's fun to read. And then even in Mark, he just kind of fast forwards on to Jesus's baptism. So we're just going to kind of skip the beginning part. He's like, let's get to the point. We're going to get right to Jesus's ministry. But Matthew did something very different. He started with this genealogy of Jesus. The point wasn't so much the genealogy in the big picture. The point was the legacy that was left. Now, to the Jewish people, they wanted the genealogy because they wanted to know that Jesus came from David. But the point in the big picture for you and I and every reader since is that there is a legacy that has been left for us. And intentionally, Matthew included in this genealogy, not just the highlights, not just the people that we would like to say, hey, I'm related to this person. He includes the people that we might not mention that we are related to. And he includes some hard stories. And he intentionally, which wouldn't have been popular in that culture, he includes the names of ladies within that genealogy, all to make the very clear point Whether you're new to the faith, whether you've been in the faith for a long time, whether you come from a very difficult circumstance, or or maybe you haven't. Maybe you've grown up uh, on easy street. Wherever you come from, the gospel is for you. And he makes it very clear to people who are trying to live in a religious way to earn their acceptance before God. He's saying to them, and he's saying to you and I, You can't earn this. It's because of the grace of Jesus. So he intentionally speaks to people who have been dismissed. He speaks to people who have been outsiders of the faith. He shares these painful stories, inspiring stories. And he speaks specifically to the women who would have heard it. And he wants them to know you matter and your story matters. And the same applies to all of us here today, man or woman, You matter and your story matters and we serve a God who can rewrite and rectify and redeem every story. Regardless of what you've been through or what you've faced, he can redeem every story. We started on Mother's Day. We talked about Ruth as Tiffany shared with us and then we talked about Tamar and Rahab and Bathsheba, which were all some pretty difficult stories. And today we're going to talk about a story that many of you are more familiar with, probably the one you're most familiar with in the lineage of Jesus going back one whole generation, Mary, Mary and Joseph. And uh, I do want to throw in just a side note, if it feels like this uh, series has been a little too flowery for you, next week is Father's Day and we're going to wrap the whole thing in duct tape and baling wire. Uh, I do have a treat 
for all of you guys next week, but really for everybody that you're really going to enjoy. I've had uh, the chance encounter to cross paths with a, a really incredible guy here in town. It's Lieutenant Colonel Walker, Kent Walker. Uh, he is the head chaplain at Brook Army Medical Center here in town. He's been a pastor before, and he's going to come and share with all of us next week on Father's Day. So all you guys, don't miss it next week. Families come. It's going to be a good time next week uh, as, as we celebrate Father's Day and celebrate what God is doing in our lives. But first, uh, the grand finale of Jesus's lineage here. We get to his mom. We get to Mary. And for some of you, just uh, the very mention of her name. We talked about Tamar, the, uh, some of the Hebrew scholars, they weren't even allowed to mention the name of Tamar because they said it would instantly cause lust. As I mentioned the name Mary, some of you are instantly panicking, thinking, do I have all my Christmas shopping done, right? Because really the only time we talk about Mary is right before Christmas, and uh, we're going to talk about her here today in June, and if you haven't noticed it's summer yet, you'll notice as soon as you walk out the doors because it's really hot out there. But we're going to talk about Mary, and uh, we'll just jump right in here. Matthew chapter 1, verse 16, it says this, Jacob was the father of Joseph the husband of Mary. Mary gave birth to Jesus, who is called the Messiah. So something that's very different here than we've seen in the other ladies even mentioned in Jesus' genealogy is that they always say, this is the father of, and then list the name of the child. And then they go on to mention whose mother was, and they mention one of the other ladies that we've talked about. But in this case, it doesn't say that. It says that Joseph is the husband of Mary, who is the mother of Jesus. It doesn't say that Joseph is the father. And you guys know why, right? It's because God is the father. So today we want to look at, at Mary. And honestly, as, as we look at her story, I think the very first question that we have to ask is, why Mary? I mean, honestly, she's, she's just a small town girl growing up. No, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> but she is. She was literally just a small town, ordinary girl. Every one of you got that with half a line, too. <laughs> I, you can't put those words together without the tune starting to play in your head. And if you don't know what we're talking about, I'm sorry. Uh, but here's Mary. She was literally and intentionally just an ordinary, simple girl. She likely would have been a teenager, late teenager at this point. She is engaged to Joseph, uh, which wouldn't have been uh, non-typical at, at that stage in that culture as a teenage girl to be engaged um, in this culture, we call it betrothed, which is basically like a binding engagement. It would have taken a divorce to end that sort of engagement. But as we look at her, she's simply an ordinary girl with a willing heart to trust God. And we could just stop right there because that's what we need to know. Every single one of us who are ordinary people who get up and put on ordinary clothes and go to an ordinary job with a heart that trusts God, there's nothing that God can't do within every one of our lives. And as we've been reminded in these other stories, even if you have faced A, B, C, and D, even if you're still going to face some more difficult things ahead in your life, an ordinary person who trusts God, there's no limit to what God can do. 
She has faith and a willing heart. She's going to be the mother of Jesus. Now, I got to believe that many of us are here in this room today because we have a mom who prayed for us, who took us to church, who taught us about the faith in many ways. My mom happens to be here with us today, so thank you, mom, very much. Um, But many of you, whether it was your mom or your grandmother, many of us are here today because we had somebody who had this kind of faith that trusted in God. And I will say, if you don't have a mom like that who will pray for you and stand with you, I want to introduce you to Miss Evelyn after the service, and she will be happy to pray for you every day, all right? Um, But here's Mary, and I think there's a few things that we can learn from her faith today. Mary, uh, I think it's safe to say, is the first person to have a face-to-face encounter with Jesus, and she is going to have many face-to-face encounters with Jesus. And let's look a little bit more of her story here, Luke chapter 1, verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think of what the angel could mean. And again, if you don't think you can relate to Mary, I think right there we can all relate to Mary. If an angel showed up to you and says, greetings, hello, I'm here, I'm an angel, I think we would all be confused, a little bit disturbed, and trying to figure out what is going on. And that's Mary here. She's a little bit caught off guard, so the angel continues which, with a phrase that we would all like to hear in that situation, don't be afraid. Mary, the angel, told her, You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Mary asked the angel, How can this happen? I am a virgin. So she says, wait, 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 wait. Because the angel started with this line, you're going to conceive. And then he goes on to give these great descriptors of Jesus. And I think Mary might have checked out just a little bit right there after the first part. Did you fail biology class, Mr. Angel? Do you understand that's not how this works? He's going to continue in verse 35. The angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power from the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy and he will be called the Son of of God. It goes on to say her elderly relative Elizabeth is also pregnant at this time in verse 37 it says the angel finishes he says for the word of God will never fail and then I want you to watch Mary's response here I am the Lord's servant may everything you have said about me come true and the angel left her and there is so much faith in that one statement right there I mean one and angel just showed up. That was even weird to Mary. That would be weird to us, right? This isn't something normal that had happened. And to put this in context, this is the beginning of the New Testament. God has been silent for four to 500 years. No angels showing up to speak to people. No prophets 
explaining what's going on, it's just dead quiet. And 400 years is a long time, right? I mean, you and I would begin to think, oh man, that's just, that's just old ancient talk. But this angel shows up to Mary and says this to her. And she has the faith to say, whatever God wants, let it be true. That is some enormous faith right there that we can all take note of. We don't want to miss that incredible faith. First thing I want us to notice here is that faith believes that God will do what he says he will do. Mary believed that, and we need to live that out as well. If you're saying, I don't know what God says he will do, I want to encourage you to read your Bible. If you don't have a Bible, we have extras out in the lobby. You're welcome to pick it up and take it with you. I encourage you to read your Bible, to pray, to be around other people who know how to hear God's voice and see what God has to say about who you are, about what he wants to do in the world, in you and through you, and then be the kind of people that Mary was that have the faith to believe what God said he was going to do, he's going to do. I wish we could all live that way. She continues her conversation with the angel. We see in verse 45, you are blessed because you believe that the Lord uh, would do what he said. Mary responded, oh, how I pray. Oh, how my soul praises the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my savior, for he took notice of a lowly servant girl. And from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one is holy, and he has done great things for me. Because Mary has faith in God and trusts that he is going to do what he says he will do, this is what that leads to. It leads to the fact that she can trust in God and see God for who he is, but she can also see herself for who she is. And that's the next point I want us to have here. Faith sees God for who he is and shows us who we are. I think one of the greatest problems that we have within our culture and our generation is that we don't see ourselves the way that God sees us. And because Mary trusted in God, she was able to have absolute confidence, this is who God says that I am, and I can live that out. God says things like this about us too. The scripture is full about his declaration about who we are as believers. And like Mary, if we could begin to have the confidence to say, because I have faith that he's going to do what he said he would do, I know that he is who he says he is, and that means I am who he says that I am. Luke chapter 2, verse 17. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what they had been told about this child. All who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. So Jesus has been born in this stable. You guys know that whole story. We're not going to go through all that today. The shepherds show up. The wise men show up. And it says that they had seen him. They declare God's goodness. Verse 19, but Mary treasured all these things within her heart. This was going to be 
a tough scenario for Mary all the way around. It already had been, right? I mean, the angel shows up to Mary and says, you're going to be pregnant with God's baby. How do you explain that to your fiance? How do you explain that at the next family dinner? Hey, mom and dad, you know, got some news for you. I'm pregnant. But don't worry, it's not Joseph, it's God, you know. I mean, that's going to go over really well. She lives in a small town. In a small town, everybody knows everything about everybody, right? How in the world was she going to live this down except to ponder in her heart, I know what God said, and I'm going to hold on to what God has said. And she holds on to what God has said about her. She's been carrying God in the flesh in her womb. But she knows what this means. In this culture, this would have been punishable by death to get pregnant as a teenager outside of wedlock. She could have been executed. Joseph, even the scripture tells us, when he finds out from an angel conversation of his own, he tries to figure out how to divorce her quietly because he doesn't want to shame her. He just wants to, let's just part ways and, and go on. But the angel corrects him. She had to face some really, really tough things. And the fact is, she needed that. She needed the kind of faith that she could have something to hold on to. Because I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but when you put your trust in God, sometimes things come up in your life where you need to have that trust. Because you take this step of faith and then things might get really, really difficult and you think, why in the world am I doing this? You know, you gave some money and then your car goes out. You take a step of faith to volunteer and then people are asking more time of you. You feel like God has called you to do something, but then it gets really tough. And if we think we've ever had it tough, Mary had it tough beyond what we could ever imagine. She needed a faith that she could ponder in her heart and hold on to on those days when she wanted to throw in the towel. Because if you follow Christ, there are going to be days when you want to throw in the towel. If you've got children that you're praying for and believing that God's going to move in their lives, there's going to be days when you want to throw in the towel. If you're wanting to, to shine the light of Christ when you go to work, there's going to be days when you want to throw in the towel. If you're saying, God, I want you to use my life to bless the people around me in my neighborhood, there's going to be days when you want to give up on that. And like Mary... We need to ponder in our heart the things that God has done. We need to remember what he has already done in our lives. Hold on to what he has told us. Her faith reminded her what to hold on to. And you and I will also need faith to hold on to when times get difficult because faith is not easy. Faith, by the very definition of what it is, doesn't make sense. So if you're going to put your faith in something, especially if you put your faith in Christ, you're going to have other people that go, why in the world are you doing that? Why are you believing in a God, this story from thousands of years ago? It's going to cost you. The Bible tells us it's the narrow road, not the wide road. There's going to be people who doubt you, people who reject you. On some level, it won't make sense to the people around you. Faith is not easy, and we have to remember what to hold on to. Remember who God is. Remember who you are. Remember what he has said and what he has done. So she carries Jesus. 
She's even going to raise Jesus with a concept and awareness of what is on the line. We see in Luke chapter 2, this would have been when Jesus was seven days old. Mary and Joseph take him to the temple to be blessed. It says this, then Simeon blessed them. And he said to Mary, the baby's mother, this child is destined to cause many in Israel to fall. But he will be a joy to many others. He has been sent as a sign from God, but many will oppose him. And as a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your very soul. Mary, we've asked you to carry Jesus. And here's this child, but the prophet of God says, but a sword is going to pierce your very soul. In other words, Mary, this is going to be more painful than you could ever imagine. Some of you moms, some of you dads even, have carried that weight with your children. Imagine it at this level. Here's this child that you know is a miracle and you know is a blessing. But you also know from the moment that this child is born, this is going to be really, really difficult to face. It's a good thing in this moment that she had God's promise to ponder in her heart and hold on to. So then if we could, there's not a lot of Jesus' childhood that we we see in there other than when they, they go to the temple one day and Jesus gets a little lost. They find him in the temple uh, teaching after he'd been lost for a few days. But we're going to fast forward about 30 years. And now we catch up with Jesus and Mary is still there in the picture. Mary has been living out this faith every day. It didn't just go away after Jesus grew up. She's still living with this faith, knowing who God is, knowing who she is, trusting God and obeying God at a very deep level. So we want to look at one more story here where Jesus and Mary have a little interaction. John chapter 2, verse 1. The next day there was a wedding celebration in the village of Cana at Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the celebration. The wine supply ran out during the festivities, so Jesus' mother told him, they have no more wine. Dear woman, that's not our problem, Jesus replied. My time has not yet come. But his mother told the servants, do whatever he tells you. Standing nearby were six stone water jars used for Jewish ceremonial washing. Each could hold 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus told the servants, fill the jars with water. When the jars had been filled, he said, now dip some out and take it to the master of ceremonies. So the servants followed his instructions. When the master of ceremonies tasted the water that was now wine, not knowing where it had come from, though of course the servants knew, he called the bridegroom over. A host always serves the best wine first, he said. Then when everyone has had a lot to drink, he brings out the less expensive wine. But you have kept the best until now. So here's this wedding. This is likely because Mary is one of the servants at this wedding. It would have been one of their relatives 
also indicated by the fact that Jesus and the disciples were all invited. So the family is there. Now, a wedding in those days, they didn't go, they didn't have the wedding and then go off on a honeymoon like we do today. They would have a wedding celebration that lasted about a week long. Different parts of the ceremony, different celebrations with the family all week long. They're three days into this wedding and they run out of wine. So in this culture, that would have been a humiliation upon the family because people would have come, traveled from all over the place, and you didn't just load up the car or fly in like we would today. They walked or they rode a horse or a donkey. They came a long way. It was a great expense and cost to them. And for the family to run out of wine in this situation would have been a humiliation, an embarrassment upon the family. And so Mary turns to Jesus and she says, they've run out of wine, you know, and I can almost hear that mom tone. I don't know if you gathered that when you look at the scripture, but there's a little bit of that mom tone as she turns to him and says, they've run out of wine. And to which Jesus says, hey, I don't know what you're telling me for because it's not my responsibility, right? To me, as I look at this, This is a profound statement, even in this little thing, of Mary's ongoing faith. Because why is she turning to Jesus and telling him that they've run out of wine? Jesus does not have a side wine business. I mean, he doesn't doesn't have a connection that's a supplier that we know of. Why is she telling Jesus? I may be the only one here that feels foolish on a regular basis, but... There are times, if I can confess to you, that I go in a public restroom, and good news, I wash my hands afterwards, Uh, but when I, I, you know, get some soap, get some water, and then I go over to the paper towel dispenser, and I stand there doing this, waiting for the motion paper towels to come out, and it's not a motion paper towel dispenser, so I stand there looking like a fool until I realize, oh, I'm supposed to crank it. The reason is, is because I have become so accustomed to the motion paper towels dispenser that now it's just second nature to wave my hand in front of the paper towel box that's on the wall. I think that Mary's faith was so great in Jesus that she was just accustomed to knowing who he was and what he could do, even though he had not performed signs or miracles yet. She had a faith that just knew what he was, who he was, and what he was capable of. And I don't know how it was when he was growing up. I mean, it doesn't say in Scripture, and I don't want to add anything to Scripture, but, you know, did the family pet get hit by a chariot one day, and the brothers and sisters are crying, and Mary was like, Jesus, get over there. And he's like, no, it's not my time, Mom. Jesus, look at your brother and sister. They're crying, you know, and goes over there and pet. Oh, he's just sleeping. Family pet's fine, you know. I don't know. I don't know what might have caused this faith in Mary other than 30 years ago she knew what God said, but she knew what Jesus could do. She knew who he was. So she tells him, we have no wine. And then I love the other part. I think she tells him, We have no wine, and she doesn't even really wait for his response. She turns to the servants and says, whatever he does, whatever he says to do, do it. She's got absolute confidence in who Jesus is. And again, we see Mary's faith there. Whatever he says to do, do it. 
If we could live that out, our world changes right there. Our life changes. Whatever Jesus says to do, do it. If we could have that kind of faith, miraculous in big and small ways, would just be normal within our lives. Faith leads to obedience. When we have faith in God, because we believe in who he is, we see ourselves for who we are, it requires action of us. If I believe that God is who he says he is and can do what he says that he can do, then when he asks me to do something, I need to be ready to do it. Whatever he says, do it. I need to have that kind of faith. And the good news is God's not trying to keep his will secret from any of you. God wants you to know what his will is. The problem isn't that God doesn't speak. The problem is that we rarely listen. And if we will listen, God will be more than happy to tell us what his will is. Whatever he says to you, do it. That's Mary's word to the servants. We're here to be servants of Christ. Whatever he says to you, do it. So there's a few things from this interaction that I think we can gather from Mary's faith and challenge to us to whatever he says to do, do it. Obedience is measurable. If faith leads to obedience, obedience is measurable. If you tell your kids to go clean their room, you go up and check in a few hours, you will be able to tell if your kids clean their room for 30 seconds or 30 minutes. You will be able to see the difference. Our obedience is measurable as well. God asks us to die to ourselves to follow him to trust him with all that we are. We can look at our lives and see if we have been obeying the Lord within our lives. We can look, easiest way to measure, although sometimes it's painful to look in the mirror and see, is how we spend our time, how we spend our talent, and how we spend our treasure. Have we been obeying God with our time, with our talent, and with the treasures that we have in this life? I can remember when we first felt like we were supposed to adopt Nate. We looked at it and we looked at the numbers and the cost that it would take. And we said, there's no way. Adoption is extremely expensive. There's no way that we can do this. But then we were both convicted. If God has told us to do it, how can we not obey? How can we not trust him to meet our needs? And when it was all said and done, our need was met almost to the dollar. I mean, almost the exact dollar out of tens of thousands of dollars. Obedience is measurable. Obedience is also exciting. Now, I know that may sound like an oxymoron because especially for those of us who have a little rebellious streak in us, obedience does not sound exciting, but you think about this situation. When we obey what God says for us to do, We see God do things in our lives that can't be explained in the natural. Do things within our hearts that there's no other way to explain. These pots that Mary asked Jesus, that Jesus said, fill up. These were boring religious pots. It says they were ceremonial washing pots. So that means it was a part of the ceremony where they would go to these pots and wash their hands. It was dead religion until Jesus got to interact with these pots. And when Jesus interacts with our religious beliefs and we begin obeying him, faith becomes exciting. When we look at God and he says, 
Whatever he says to do, do it. And we begin to do it. We're going to see God do amazing things. We've got, we've got a room full of people here who could share stories with you, how they obeyed God. And it just took them on this amazing adventure. And some of you, you may look at people and go, I don't have any stories like that. But I love hearing other people's stories like that. I want to encourage you. I want us to be a room full of people who could say, obey God and look what he did. I want to share one with you today. And I asked to make sure this uh, was all right. I'm not going to mention any initials, but Evelyn Strait. Uh, she shared a testimony with me a few weeks ago. She, she was listening uh, as we've been sharing messages, talking about being a blessing to our neighbors, looking for ways to love and serve other people. She said she'd gone to the grocery store one day. While she was shopping for groceries, she just felt the Holy Spirit impress upon her. I want you to get a gift for your neighbor who lives upstairs that she'd interacted with just a little bit since they lived in this apartment complex. So she goes and sacrificially picks out a gift, not just a gift, but a bag to put it in and the wrapping. And she gets up the courage to go upstairs and knock on the neighbor's door and say, "Uh, I don't know if you remember me, but I'm Evelyn. I live downstairs and I just felt like today I should get a gift for your daughter uh, just to let you know God loves you and I wanted to bring it by. To which the mom's response was, how did you know it's my daughter's birthday? When we obey, God does exciting things in our lives. Faith leads to obedience. As we've seen all throughout this series... God works in the big and the small ways when we will trust in him. One of the things I love about Jesus' first miracle is this first miracle is really just simply helping a family out. We have so many things in our lives that we could look at and go, well, God doesn't really care about this. I mean, right? He's got people to heal and, and big situations to move in and national crisis, you know, that he needs to intervene in, you know, I don't really need to pray about this little thing in my life, but the good news is God just simply wanted to move in this family's life to save them from an embarrassing situation. He wants to move in every circumstance. The last thing here is obedience is the key to making your faith real. James, who was Jesus' brother, who would have been present at this, he goes on later to write, Faith without works is dead. When we have a faith like Mary's, it requires us to act on it, to live it out. God wants to work in every circumstance. Faith with obedience leads to God moving in our lives in ways that are so much bigger than we will ever be able to explain. Mary's faith, whatever he says to you, She has faith in God. As we look at these ladies in the lineage of Jesus, that's what we need to walk away with. Whatever he says to you, regardless of what you've been through or where you've come from, you are welcome in the family of God. Whatever he says to you, do it. Let's live it out. I pray that we will have a faith to see God for who he is, to see ourselves for who we are, I pray that we will have a faith that treasures what he has done in our lives. And I pray that we would be a people who pray 
and obey. This is a monumental season for the for Rock Hills Church. As we're praying and moving about about what God would have for us as we move in to the next season, I want to ask you to pray with us. And as we pray together, we want to pray and we want to ask God what he wants for us. And whatever he says, we want to do it. We want to do that as a church. And that's also our prayer for all of you as individuals and as families. Whatever he says, do it. Would you pray with me? God, I thank you that you made this lineage clear to remind us that there is no one in this room today who is overlooked. There is nobody who's watching online that is overlooked or forgotten about. But Father, that your grace and your mercy invites every one of us to your table. Father, where we can find the love of God. Father, I thank you that just like with Mary, you meet every one of us right where we're at. And for some of us, like Mary, it may be disturbing, Father, that you would meet with us. But Lord, I pray that we would have the kind of faith that says, I am who you say I am, and I'll do what you want me to do. Whatever you say, I will do it. Lord, as we look at Mary, it leads us to Jesus, who died for us, that we might be forgiven, that we might be part of the family of God. Would you take just a moment and would you thank God for sending Jesus? Thank God for the blood of Christ that forgives every one of us if we'll ask for it. Would you thank God for his promises? Just take a moment to ponder them in your heart. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you that you sent Jesus to die for our sins, that we could be new creations and follow you. Father, I thank you for the people in the room today or watching online who may be trusting you for the very first time. Lord, move in their hearts. Connect them with people who are going to help them along the way. Lord, we thank you for all that you're doing in all of us. Lastly, just stay in an attitude of prayer if you would. I just want to ask you, to listen to the Holy Spirit for whatever He says to you today. I was in a discipleship group not too long ago and we prayed this prayer and I felt like God challenged me to do something that was difficult for me to do but I got to see the goodness out of that. What would God say to you today? Dear Heavenly Father, for those who know in their hearts and their spirits what you've spoken to them today, I pray that they would do it. For those of us who may still be trying to discern what you might want for us to do, I pray that you would continue to speak to us throughout the day, throughout this week. That, Father, whatever you say, we will do it. Thank you for your love for us that cares about every detail within our lives, in our neighborhoods, in our jobs, in our families pray that you would be the Lord over all of them. In Jesus' name, amen.